Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. If you're joining us for the first time today in this program, I extend a special welcome to you and want you to know that we are in point number one of a new uh, study, and this is involving important prophecy terms, important prophecy terms, and we have a worksheet that's available at this radio station that the uh, announcer has made you aware of and how to how to get hold of it to follow along with us because we've got a number of scriptures that we go through in each of these seven sets of terms, seven sets of prophecy terms that we're looking at as we prepare to get into an overview of the prophetic events that are going to take place starting with right now and going all the way through eternity, uh, which we find described at the very end of the last book of the Bible, Revelation at the very end in chapter 22. Uh, Chapter 21 and 22 kind of wrap it all up for us. So there's a lot that goes on that God wants us to know about. And even though we as the church will be raptured out before the tribulation starts, uh, and the events that we're going to be talking about uh, when the millennial kingdom starts after the tribulation, after Jesus Christ uh, has uh, come back and we come back with him, having been wedded to him in heaven, according to the scriptures, we will then come back as the church and rule and reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. Our home will be in the new Jerusalem. Our bodies will be glorified and imperishable. Uh, Time will mean nothing to us. Uh, We'll be able to move uh, freely wherever uh, without constraints of time and space, just like God is, because we will be the true, fulfilled sons and daughters of the living God. And uh, I'm, I'm just so excited about that. But I do want you to understand that as we go through all this, and you may be saying to yourself, well, I'm looking forward to the rapture, uh, and I'm not going to have to worry about anything. Uh, That is a misreading of the scriptures in a very big and very um, negative, I was going to say damaging way, and I think it is damaging, that to know that you are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ is premier of of preeminent importance, but to know that because of that you're going to be taken out Uh, before all of this horrible punishment takes place that's ultimately going to lead Israel, the nation of Israel, to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is at his second coming, we're not to just crawl into a hole somewhere and say, I'm going to wait it out till the rapture comes. Nowhere in the scripture does it say to do that. As a matter of fact, as you study the scripture, and if you believe there's going to be a rapture, And frankly, there are a lot of people today that, one, don't believe there's going to be a rapture, and even worse, there are people that are teaching uh, 
that there's not going to be a rapture when the Bible talks about it in so many different ways in so many different places that it's our great hope as Christians. Um, but if you are relying on that, when you, you're not studying the scriptures, you're not taking the time to study the scriptures because the scriptures make it very clear what pleases God. And we talked about this, so I don't know, three or four programs ago. What pleases God? And he's very clear to tell you that the study of his word, in other words, the gaining of knowledge of who he is, what his character is, what his will is for the world, what his will is for you, and then as a result of that, the good works that you bring about, that you engage in because of what you know. When you know that Jesus Christ is the only way and you know what the future is because God says, I want you to know the detail. I want you to know the details. Amos 3, 7, uh, Isaiah 46, 10. I want you to know the details of the end because I know it. I've planned it and I will bring it about. And I want you, my precious children, sons and daughters of the living God, I want you to know this so that you can share it with a world that is as they say, dying for a savior. Our job is not to go out and make the world a better place. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to do that. Our job is to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ so that people can come to a saving knowledge of who he is. That's our job. And we do that until he comes. And then we're taken out of the way and then he deals with the world himself. Because when the, when the church is raptured out, there will not be any righteous people on the earth. Imagine how bad, how bad that's going to be. And it is going to be bad. And the Bible goes way out of its way to tell you how bad it's going to be. And because you studied it, you're studying it now, and you will continue to study it if you um, persevere with us in this ministry, you'll know in detail what is yet to come, and how bad it's going to be for those who don't believe Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you can use that in your sharing with your unbelieving friends and acquaintances. To know what's going to happen to the unrighteous is a powerful thing to share. And you don't have to share it in a mean-spirited way. You share it in love but say, and say, here is what Jesus Christ offers. But if you deny this offer, this simple offer, gracious offer of salvation. Here's what the Bible says will happen. And as you study it, you know how bad it is. And that is very impactful to a person who who wants to avoid pain. I mean, it's human nature to want to avoid pain and discomfort and certainly over a long period of time. And when they get a grasp of the understanding of the term eternity, and what it means to be separated from the love of God. Whew. Many, many, many people over the years, uh, the centuries, have been saved through a study of prophecy, a study of what's going to happen, because most of, the, most of the prophecy is about what's going to happen to the unbeliever. Because God wants you to know how bad it is so that you will come to his son, Jesus Christ, not out of fear, but out of love, from out of an understanding, a, a development of knowledge and understanding of who the righteous one is. So that's what we're all about. And in understanding this, one of the key, key sets of terms that we're looking at is number one in our worksheet, and that's son of God, son of man. 
And we've now gotten into the point in point number one, son of God, where we're getting into the real meat of the distinction between those two terms. And as I've said many times now, if you can grasp the distinction between what the son of God means and what the son of man means from, from the biblical perspective, it will make the scriptures just come alive for you and you'll understand them much more clearly. And you can immediately know uh, just by seeing those two terms, what the circumstances are, who the audience is, uh, and most likely who's speaking and who's being spoken to. It'll help you to understand that. And frankly, when you get into problematic passages, like um, because we're talking so much today in the media, television, radio, and print about the rapture, uh, and you look at Matthew 24, and it's talking about um, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, yet there are theologians, pastors, and teachers that will say, oh, this is dealing with the rapture of the church. Well, the Son of Man, you'll find out as you go through, the Son of Man has nothing to do with the rapture of the church. It's the Son of God. It's that aspect of, of Jesus um, that is dealing with the rapture of the church because it's going to be dealing only with the righteous, and only the righteous see God, see Jesus as the Son of God. It's the unrighteous who see Jesus as the Son of Man. And if you can understand that distinction between those two, it, it's really going to open your eyes. So let's go back to John chapter 5 where we left off last time and um, go through those few verses again. And then let's get into some verses that give us a quick look at the Son of Man before we start really dwell, dwelling on the Son of God. And as you see from the worksheet, we will then, when we finish the uh, passages on the Son of God, we'll then go to the passages on the Son of Man and see that aspect of Jesus in a, in a more clear, uh, in-depth way. So we're just going to do a quick overview of Son of Man here. So we go back to John chapter 5, and this is, I think, one of the most key, key passages in the Bible uh, to understanding the manifestation of Jesus, the two great manifestations Son of God and Son of Man, because it's so so clear to me here, and I hope to you as well. And if you don't see it uh, in a clear way, a way that you understand, I'd, I'd appreciate hearing from you. Just contact me at steve at whcbradio.org or contact the radio station. People have done it both ways. And just say, hey, I really don't understand this John chapter 5 the way you've been explaining it. Could you elaborate on it? I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to be able to do that. So let's go back to John chapter 5, and we want to look at a couple of key aspects. The first thing is in John chapter 5, verse 22 that we covered last time, it says that not even the Father, this is Father God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not even the Father judges anyone, but he, the Father, has given all judgment to the Son, to Jesus. So all the judgment that has yet to take place and we will go over those judgments as part of our seven sets of terms here uh, and look at a couple of those major judgments. We need to know that in all of those judgments, it's going to be Jesus, the Son of God, that's going to be doing the judging. Um, and when I say Son of God, the Son of God is going to be judging the church at the Bema seat. And 
that's that's very clear when you see that because there's going to be no accounting for sin because all sins will have been forgiven. The judgment that Jesus will perform at the Bema seat is for our works, and we will be rewarded for our works at the Bema seat. But the Son of Man is going to judge the unrighteous. He's going to judge the people on the earth. He's going to judge the dead when they're resurrected at the great white throne and so forth. But all of them, just understand, as it says in verse 22, all these judgments that are going to take place in the prophetic future are all going to be led by Jesus the Son. And then we talked about how those who listen to the Son of God in verse 25 who hear the voice of the Son of God, and when they when it says hear the voice, it means believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Otherwise, you wouldn't refer to him as the Son of God. Uh, he'd be the Son of Man. Those that listen to and believe the voice of the Son of God will hear and live. They will have, they will pass from eternal death, which is our penalty through Adam and Eve, into eternal life because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the, on the cross. <clears throat> and our belief in that is what will give us eternal life. But the other key thing I want you to see, so you see Son of God very clearly listed there in verse 25, and then go to verse 27. And he, God, gave him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So this is, the judgment aspect. Remember, the Son of God is going to judge the righteous, the Son of Man. Again, it's the same person. It's Jesus Christ, but he's in two different manifestations, if you will. He's going to be bringing rewards with him to the judgment seat of the of the church at the rapture, following the immediately following the rapture. But he's going to be bringing horrible penalty with him when he sits at all the other judgments where he's judging the unrighteous. And this is the Son of Man because it says here, the Son of Man will execute judgment. And again, I've said it before, and it it should be repeated any number of times just to make the point clear. A righteous person, a person who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, will see him and believe in him as the Son of God. That's not something that just you walk down the street and you've never heard any of this before, and you immediately say, oh yeah, he's the Son of God. You need to be convinced of that in your head and then in your heart, and that's called salvation. And when you are saved through the grace of God, you, you see and you appreciate and you, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, as the Scripture says. But if you are an unbeliever, if you want nothing to do or you're struggling trying to figure out what this is all about, and as far as you're concerned, as the historians like to say, Jesus was a good man that walked the earth 2,000 years ago. The historians have corroborated that, and we understand that he was a good prophet and he did good things. He's a nice guy, but that's all he was. He was the son of a man, the man Joseph. In fact, the scripture even says that, purported to be the son of Joseph. So you see him as the son of man. Well, if you don't believe him, he's going to present himself to you as the son of man. 
as somebody you don't believe. And it's somebody who's going to judge you and he's going to bring punishment to you because you've been told over and over again through the scriptures, here's what it takes to be a believer in the Son of God. And if you deny that, then the Son of Man is going to judge you. So I I find this to be so clear right here that he is going to come as the Son of Man to judge the world. So let's look at some scriptures that uh, very quickly here, because I don't want to dwell on the Son of Man aspect. We're going to do that later over on the right-hand side of the worksheet there in point number one. But I want to look at just a few scriptures in the New Testament to give us a flavor of what the Son of Man is going to do, what the Son of Man is going to do going forward. So let's go to the book of Matthew. We've been in John chapter 5, so just go back to the left, um, past uh, Luke and Mark, and get into Matthew, and get into Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And remember, in context here, in Matthew 16, Before the scripture, we're actually going to look at Matthew 16, verse 27. But in the scriptures before that, uh, this is where Jesus has called his apostles back in from having gone out to share the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is here. The promised king, Messiah, is here. He's ready to set up his kingdom right now on earth in Israel if you will simply believe. And they come back to Caesarea Philippi. We see in Matthew 16, um, in verse 13, 16, 13, back to Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asks them, who do they say that I am? And the apostles report, they say that you're anybody but who you really are. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And that's Peter's great profession, that you are the son of the living God. And that's in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus says to Peter and to the apostles, based on that profession, that I am the son of the living God, I am the son of God, I will build my church. So you see the establishment there. But also at the same time as you move down and you look in verse 21 of Matthew 16, it says, from that time, in other words, going forward from that specific time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. That's the first time Jesus announces that. And it says from that time on, basically what he is doing is changing his gospel presentation from the offering of himself as the king, the gospel of the kingdom, to saying, the kingdom is going to be postponed, and I'm going to turn my attention to the church. And in order to do that, I must be I must present myself as the perfect sacrifice so that people can believe on me and have eternal life, and I will deal through the church for the next 2,000 years and then turn my attention back to Israel once I remove the church. So he is now talking... Um, about the gospel of grace, the gospel, and he's talking to a world that has refused to accept him, particularly Israel. So we get to chapter uh, Matthew 16, verse 27. It says, for the Son of Man. See the distinctive difference? Peter referred to him back here in, in um, chapter 16, verse 16, as the Son of God, and now he's referring to himself here as the Son of Man. 
is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels. That's the second coming that's yet to happen. And and will then repay every man according to his deeds. He's talking about the Son of Man coming to judge, to recompense all the people who refuse to acknowledge him as, as the Son of the living God. So there's going to be punishment, not rewards, and that's what's being talked about here. So we've got just a few more scriptures to uh, further elaborate on this Son of Man thing. Uh, and we'll do that in our next program and then move on to a focus on the Son of God. So we'll do that uh, in our next program. But now let's transition, as we always do on our um, programs, over to the Q&A, and let's continue on with a question from Rich in um, Indian Springs, and it has to do with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit during the time of the Tribulation, which is a seven-year period yet to come, and Rich is pointing out that uh, it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit, known as the restrainer of evil, is going to be removed from the earth so that the Antichrist can come on the scene and initiate the seven-year tribulation. And because of that, his question is, how can the tribulation saints of Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, be saved, which they clearly are, and we've read that before, in, in earlier uh, programs to answer this, they clearly are saved. So how are they saved if the Holy Spirit isn't there? And so we're, we're uh, going to move into now talking about the Holy Spirit. In prior programs, the last uh, several programs, we've talked about why didn't God do this himself? God the Father as the head of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, why does he work through Jesus why does he work through the Holy Spirit? Why doesn't he come down here and directly interact with us? And the answer to that is sin. And we pointed out how while Elohim, plural God, created everything in the first chapter of Genesis, that's the triune Godhead, Elohim, he then transitions. Uh, Moses, in the writing of uh, Genesis, transitions from using just Elohim, the triune Godhead, to doing the compound Lord God, God being Elohim, Lord being Jehovah. Elohim is the creator aspect of God, the creator manifestation of God, if you will. And Jehovah is the covenant aspect, the relational aspect of God. And so we have Jehovah Elohim, this compound. So we're basically talking about the Father aspect of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, directly interacting with man, and he does that. And interestingly enough, he interacts with them, and I say interestingly, I should say glory to God that he does. He actually interacts with fallen man, Adam and Eve, after they have committed the sin of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was a direct contravention of God's commands to them, that he establishes his whole plan for mankind directly to Adam and Eve for our benefit, for our understanding going forward. And what is that? He, he very clearly establishes that a sin has been committed by mankind, not just Adam and Eve, but by extension now we know from the Bible all of mankind is guilty of this sin. There is a penalty that God very clearly lays out, and that penalty is death because the penalty of sin is death, and 
Adam and Eve have had access to the tree of life. It's another tree in the center of the garden, and that's how carnal man, and that's what Adam and Eve were. They were not in glorified, imperishable bodies. They were in bodies like you and me today, but they ate from the tree of life, and that allowed them to live forever. Well, God banished them from the garden so that they could not access the tree of life. So he established the sin very clearly. He established the consequence of that sin very clearly, which would be death. But most importantly, he, re- he also established the plan of redemption, the plan of redemption. And we found that in Genesis 3.21, where it says that Jehovah Elohim killed a perfect sinless animal. Remember, this was the perfect state of the world that this animal lived in before Adam and Eve sinned. So this animal, they'd never seen death before, had no concept of it. But God killed this animal, shed its blood, because there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And then he took the skin of that animal and clothed Adam and Eve. Remember back in Genesis 3-7, Adam and Eve had woven fig leaves. They had figured out their own way to be able to approach God, and that's called religion. And, you know, religion isn't established in the Bible. There's a way to approach God, and that's only through Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's it. But man has made all these complicated religions as exemplified by the sowing of fig leaves by man. So you transition from man trying to approach God in their sinful state to God personally, individually uh, uh, establishing a way, and that's through the death of a sinless creature. In this case, it's a type and shadow of Jesus having the blood shed. And then the additional thing that we find here in 21, 321 of Genesis is the clothing with the skin. And we find out in the Hebrew elsewhere, when you compare scriptures, what he's saying is he's clothed them with the Holy Spirit, clothed them with the Holy Spirit. So they've now been forgiven of their sin and we will see them in heaven when they are resurrected with the Old Testament saints at the end of the tribulation, which we'll talk about in our 30 prophetic events going forward. But we were going to transition to the to the Holy Spirit and to find out that to help answer Rich's question, the Holy Spirit has been here from the beginning and will always be here, even though he's manifested through the church during this particular dispensation called the church age, he is always here. So if you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, you see that the Spirit of God is across the face of the deep. So you see that the Spirit of God was here at the very beginning of creation. And then you go to Revelation 22, and let's go there very quickly. Revelation 22, which is the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Revelation 22, and it says in Revelation 22, verse 17, the Spirit, so there's the Holy Spirit of God, and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears, or one who hears, say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. So we see the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the Bible. We see the Holy Spirit at the end of the Bible. The point is the Holy Spirit never leaves the earth. So we want to dig into that deeper to help answer Rich's question, and we'll do that going forward in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, 
I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.